NFL free agency has begun and the Niners have opened up the offseason with a flurry of moves. I give you guys, I give you all my reactions here as well as ranking where the Giants fall in their rotation as well as their lineup. All that and a little bit more on this episode of the Long Live Debate Podcast. Let's jump into it with who the Niners have initially re-signed and brought into the fold with this new team. And it begins with the big, big re-signing of Trent Williams for a record-breaking deal. Six years, $138 million. Trent Williams will now become the highest paid offensive lineman in NFL history. And the 49ers now shore up that left tackle position. Williams was very good, very solid, a top three at left tackle last season when he played. He missed, uh, I think, two games um, due to injuries. They were very small, though. Nothing too big, nothing to worry about. So Trent Williams looking forward. He will be the left tackle for the Niners. And it just means the Niners now have a much more focus uh, they have a much better focus heading into the NFL draft now because before it was looking like are they going to go left tackle are they going to try to draft a corner are they going to try to draft a quarterback maybe but now with the signing left of Trent Williams with this big big deal you know they won't be going left tackle and you know they probably will not even touch the offensive line in at least the first two rounds with this big signing as well as also signing Alex Mack to a one-year 5.5 million dollar deal he once played with Kyle Shanahan before in Atlanta with the Falcons he was part of that 2016 team that went to the Super Bowl and ended up blowing that lead he also was named to the 2010s all-decade team so Alex Mack is a very very good player he is 35 35 years old but the deal he signed was a cheap small year deal is one year 5.5 million so it means that the Niners have had are going to go with a very short-term fix there at center with Alex Mack which is okay Mack is exactly what the Niners need they need someone familiar with the system like Trent Williams like Alex Mack someone who's been in the system before to try and help solidify the offensive line now when you're looking at an offensive line where you have Trent Williams a top three left tackle on that left side um, then you have Lincoln Tomlinson a very good left guard Alex Mack, a very good center. And then you have a right guard of Daniel Brunskill, who has shown flashes of being a pretty solid right um, right guard. And who he has his ups and downs, so we'll see what Brunskill will get. But I like the signing of Mack there because Mack can help Brunskill get better. He's that veteran presence now along the line where the Niners were kind of missing it with Staley because Trent Williams didn't fully step up into that position that, Williams, uh, that Staley held, being that big, big captain on the team, being one of the faces of the franchise. Now, hopefully, Mack can kind of step in and help Brunstigal and also help McGlinchey help that right side get a little bit better in their pass pro maybe he helps them focus a little bit more help them get a little bit bigger and stronger in the offseason you know he maybe he can be the key into helping McGlinchey um tap into that potential that we all saw when the Niners drafted him at number nine overall back in the 2018 draft. So Trent Williams, Alex Mack, two big, big signings that help solidify the offensive line and just show the Niners will not be drafting anyone up front next year. I like both of these deals a lot. The Alex the Alex Mack signing is very cheap at $5.5 million. This is around what I thought he would get, and I'm very happy we signed him for that. Trent Williams, the average annual value, the AAV comes down to around $23 million. So that's around what I thought it would be. I said it would be anywhere between 20 to $23 million matching um, what uh, David Bakhtiari got from the Packers. And that is exactly what Trent Williams got from the Niners. So two big, big signing deals. 
Uh, we will see how the Trent Williams signing affects the Niners in the years to come. But in the short term, it looks like the offensive line is set. And it looks like the Niners can now focus on something else going into the draft. Now, a uh, signing that was actually just done today on Wednesday, the day this is being recorded, DJ Jones was signed by the 49ers, a one-year $2.2 million deal. But for this year, he's only going to cost $900,000 against the cap. This is an amazing re-signing. I love this, especially for the value it was at. DJ Jones was someone who I would have liked to have brought back, but the only way we were going to bring DJ Jones back was on a certain deal. He was going to have to be very cheap, and that's exactly what it is. $900,000 against the cap is around what I think his hit was last year, actually. So it stays very cheap, and he allows the Niners to keep some of that solidity on the middle of their defensive line because now you're looking at a starting defensive line week one of Nick Bosa on that outside right on the right. Then you have Javon Kinlaw and DJ Jones up the middle. Then you have Armstead on the left. And then when it becomes that third down passing down, you can move DJ Jones out of there or you can move Kinlaw out of there. Whoever's really not performing, I'd assume you'd move Jones out of there, let Kinlaw stay. You move, you slide Armstead back into the middle and then you can put um, one of the other guys the Niners signed who I'm going to talk about right now, Samson. Ibukam. I'm probably pronouncing that last name right. Ibukam, Ibukam, Ibukam. So Ibukam was also signed an outside linebacker from the Rams. He was signed to a two-year, two, uh, $12.5 million deal. So a little bit more expensive, but he can also slide, slide in on the outside and help the Niners. But this... Um, we're going back to the DJ Jones. I must finish up on him real quick before I fully move on to Ibukam. So... DJ Jones, great, great middle um, defensive tackle position signing. Really helps the Niners now focus on the edge, um, which I think they will need to address either in the first round of the draft or in free agency, signing someone else, um, picking someone else up there. But DJ Jones did a great, great depth signing. I really like this, and it should help the Niners kind of regain some of that 2019 form. Now, I don't think they will be as good as they were in 2019, but it will help them regain some of that form, some solidity. Helps them get you know, a consistent three down player in the middle of your defensive line. Now moving on to Samsung Ibukam. So he um, is going to be an outside linebacker, going to be moved to a defensive end. He, he should be a very good jolt of energy to the defensive line. And I think he's only 25 years old. So he is very young and athletic. So a good player for the 49ers to sign and help some, address some of their pass rushing problems. Now the big, big thing with Ibukam is he is very, very athletic. So I think the main reason and the 49ers wanted to sign him was his ability to address the contain um, issue the Niners have had in years past. Now, the Niners have not been able to contain Russell Wilson or Kyler Murray these past few years. That has been obvious to see um, if you watch those games and the way those two are able to run around the field, just do whatever they want, are always untouched in the backfield and just sling the ball whenever they need to. So Ibukam was used as a spy by the Rams to spy on just both Wilson and Murray. So he can continue doing that here with the 49ers and I really really like that now 12.5 million dollars is a little bit more expensive it's kind of a carry hider deal to someone who has not had the full production level of Kerry Hyder. Now, Ibukam has had very, very good pressure numbers. He just has not had the sack numbers to um, back those up. So I think he will be a very, very solid signing, a rotational piece. He will not be an every down player. He is kind of the next D4 to this defensive lineup. Um, now, D4 was restructured. I, I'm just going to talk about him very quickly. His contract was restructured. I don't. We don't know the full details about that. Um, I do not think he will play in 2021. I still think the goal is for the 
49ers to try and cut him any way they can to save as much money as possible. Now, moving on, let's go on to the defensive backfield. The DBs for the 49ers re-signing their two main corners, Jason Brett and Emmanuel Mosley. Brett gets one year, $5.5 million, $6.5 if he makes the Pro Bowl. Emmanuel Mosley gets two years, $10 million. Very, very good deals. I like them both. Verrett's deal is cheaper than I expected, and I love that. I thought Verrett was going to get around 6 to $7 million, maybe even 8 for one year. Instead, he gets a one-year 5.5 prove-it deal. Um, I love this. It's still a prove-it. Like $5.5 million, it, to me, is still a prove-it for Jason Verrett, and I love that. It can be 6.5 if he makes the Pro Bowl. Now, I think Verrett probably has a higher chance of making an All-Pro than making a Pro Bowl next year just because of the way Pro Bowl um, voting works, and it's just by popularity. I think uh, Jair Alexander and Jalen Ramsey will still hold those two top um, Pro Bowl spots. Now, I do think Verrett could make the All-Pro, but that is not what his um, contract is set for that incentive. The incentive is for the Pro Bowl. So, Verrett is going to be very, very cheap, and I love that. He gets, gives them a very short deal. Now, if he doesn't have another great, great year, the Niners might have to give him like a three-year, $30 million deal, which is a little bit hard to do when you still have to re-sign a guy like Fred Warner. Um, however, though, this does help the Niners in the short term and really does set them up in position to really contend for a Super Bowl this next year. So far, all of these moves have just been so solid and helps the Niners contend for a Super Bowl next year. Now, going for Super Bowls in years future, I don't know how viable that is. But going for at least a Super Bowl next year, I think is very, very viable with this team because you're getting basically the same 2019 team with a couple moving pieces, moving parts that help the team kind of fix the issues they had last year. And I really, really like the progression this team is going. Now, looking at Mosley's deal, two years, $10 million, a little bit more expensive than I actually expected. It's cheaper for this first year um, to help with the cap. It's a little bit more expensive next year, but he is a very, very good player. He got his a little payday. And I think the next time the Niners have to pay him in two years, he'll probably get a deal similar to this. Uh, maybe two years, $12 million, just a little bit more expensive, somewhere around the Brett signing. Um, if Mosley is able to have continued um, good, good production. Mosley's production was good last year, and I want to continue seeing it. He needs to stay on the field and stay healthy. He did miss a couple games last year. However, I do like the prospects of rolling out a defensive backfield with Brett on one side and Mosley on the other. I think that is the strongest cornerbacks the Niners can roll out, and now they just really need to address that slot corner position. Are they going to re-sign K1 Williams, who I think if they can, they really should? If not, they're going to need to look at someone in the draft, someone in the second to third round. There are guys there who I will talk about in a little bit who can address the, the needs for the Niners. However, I think the best person to slide into the slot, the nickel um, cornerback position, is K1 Williams. Now, looking to the first big deal the Niners made, and this was on the offensive side, the Swiss Army Knife, Kyle Juszczyk, is back. Five years, $27 million deal, so it is a very expensive on the back end. The first couple, the first two years are a little cheaper, and the next couple years are a bit more expensive. However, you have to love the signing because the Niners are able to bring Juszczyk back. They get their guy. The Swiss Army Knife is back, a guy who can get you a yard anywhere on the field. He can be a lead blocker if needed. He can run the ball. He can catch the ball. He is just amazing to have. Now I want to see the Niners use use check more. Um, this allows the Niners. This will allow the Niners' passing and run game to function as well as they have been the past couple years. Without use check, you might 
it wouldn't have been the biggest production fall off, but there would still have been some production fall off. Now, keeping use check, you don't really get to see that production fall off and everything should stay similar. So now we're going to change courses after reacting to some of the free agent signings. I'm going to look at what the Niners need to do in the draft because there are issues and there are positions that need to be addressed. And so we're just going to talk about how the Niners can really do that the best. So the issues they need to address in the first round are defensive line. Yes, the Niners still need defensive line depth. I think they need another edge rusher to be really set and solid. Um, slot corner. They don't have a slot corner right now. Um, are they going to try to roll back Jamar Taylor? They could, but he's coming off an ACL tear. So that is a little hard to do. So slot corner needs to be addressed. Now, quarterback. Does Shanahan want to roll everything back with Garoppolo? Or is the goal right now to get rid of Garoppolo, draft a quarterback, and then use the free agency money that Garoppolo leaves to sign maybe an edge rusher, even though there's not a whole lot left, or draft a or sign a cornerback of something of that sort. Um, you still have some moves there. And a, a couple other positions I think you can still look at are free safety. Is Traverius Moore really the guy going forward in the future? And Jamie Ward's a little bit um, older, so you could draft a safety of the future, or you could go right tackle and try to figure that out because Mike McGlinchey has not been great these pa this past year, um, and his projection is not good going forward. So maybe you want to fix the right tackle position and address it before it becomes a big, big issue. So if I'm the 49ers, if I'm John Lynch, I am addressing the defensive line. I know. It seems ridiculous after drafting a defensive lineman last year and everything that you have done these past couple years to draft another defensive lineman. But if you look at the 49ers, what, what else are you going to do? Are you gonna if you draft a quarterback? Now, if you draft a quarterback, you just draft whoever Shanahan wants. You draft the guy Shanahan wants, and you get rid of Garoppolo. You can you can go ahead and do that. You don't really need another offensive weapon. You have Jalen Hurd, Jawan Jennings coming back, and if you want to sign someone, I guess the guy you sign is a guy like Curtis Samuel in free agency, um, a wide receiver like that. If you want to sign a wide receiver, really. So really, there's nothing you can sign on the offensive side um, unless you want to go offensive line and try to. Um, have like a sixth man, kind of like what the Packers sort of did this year. But even then, I don't think that's a very viable option for the 49ers. So the best option, I think, is to go defensive line in the first round. You could go corner if you don't want to re-sign Jason Brett. You could go corner. But I just don't think that's viable. So I'm going to go defensive line. That is who I would go. Because if you get another guy across from Bosa, it takes some pressure off Bosa and it allows Armstead and Kinlaw to do their thing in the middle of the defensive line. Um, so I really do think drafting a defensive line guy, someone who you can play on the edge and get to the quarterback, is going to be viable because he can play those early downs of what, and then he'll split time with Ibukam and then also with Bosa because remember, Bosa's coming off an ACL tear. So if you sign a younger guy, you can allow maybe three or four different guys to play defensive end and rotate in at times. Bosa doesn't need to play um, 80% of snaps and maybe he can play 60 to 50% of snaps and still be very productive out there. So that is where I think the Niners should look. Um, and there are three guys who I think all fit the Niners scheme or the night where the Niners are going to be picking. Now the Niners are picking at 12 and the issue with this draft is there's not an elite pass rusher. There are a lot of guys who have elite traits and have the projections to be good elite NFL pass rushers. They just don't have the stuff like Bosa did or Chase Young did. There's not a consistent consensus number one. So I think if that's the case, the Niners, if you draft a defensive end, you're probably going to move back. 
So you maybe move back from 12 to 15, maybe even to 20. You move back to where the Bears are and draft a defensive end there. So the three guys I have are Jalen Phillips, Miami's defensive end. You have Aziz um, Ojolari, the defense, the outside linebacker defensive end out of Georgia. And then you have Kawhi Pei, the defensive end out of Michigan. So you have three very good guys, and you can even throw Gregory Rousseau, the other defensive end out of Miami, even though I like Phillips a little bit more just because of his prior track record before what pulled him off being an elite pass rusher. So Jalen Phillips is a guy who was a number one recruit coming out of high school and was a very, very good college player um, or high school player. And then he got hit by a car and had a string of injuries in 2018 and retired from um, playing football actually at UCLA. But last year, he decided to come out of retirement and transferred to Miami where he had a very good season. And you saw some of those elite traits come back, which made him a number one high school recruit in the nation. And I mean, number one out of everything. This isn't just number one defensive end. He was the number one player out of high school. So Jalen Phillips is a very, very athletic player. He just has an injury. Um, he has a a slew of injuries, and that is his that's his issue. He's had injuries in the past. The other guys, um, you got a guy like Azir Ojolari, who had a very, very solid year for Georgia, a very hyper athletic player who's got a lot, a lot of speed. Um, but the only issue I see with him is he is a little bit smaller in size, so bigger tackles are gonna be able to move him, move him around. And then you have Cody Pay, the guy, the kid coming out of Michigan. He has been really the consensus, what I've seen, the consensus number one defensive lineman in the draft, and he will probably go somewhere in the top 15. Um, he His only issues are kind of his um, run defense in size. He's a little bit smaller, like Ojolari, but his run defense has not been the most um, solid. But the thing is with Pei, he is a little bit more athletic. You can maybe move him into defensive tackle and treat him with the Leonard Williams, Eric Armstead treatment, where he plays defensive end and defensive tackle and moves around as needs fit. So those are the three guys that you could go for. My guy is Jalen Phillips. I think you move back, uh, move back to 15 or 20, move back with the Bears or the Patriots, and you draft Jalen Phillips. It is, it would be ridiculous not to take him in my eyes if he is there on the board and you don't want to get upgrade at quarterback because he is a very, very good player. I think he is actually getting overlooked in the fact that he is not seen as a top 12, top 15 talent um, by most people. The injury history is something to worry about, but also Bosa had that. Like the Niners have really haven't really worried about that when they have drafted guys. With with injury history so you can kind of ignore it and have Phillips another guy you can rotate in and I think that would be a very deadly uh, pass rush and really one that kind of reminiscent and reminds me of the 2019 pass rush that the Niners had so Jalen Phillips is my pick right now going forward for the um, Niners to draft in the first round now I have put down some later targets I would like to see uh, the first one is Elijah Molden. He's kind of a safety corner hybrid. I think we can move him into slot corner and he'd be very good. He predicts to be a late second or third round pick if we do not re-sign um, K1 Williams. So Elijah Molden would be very nice to grab with our second round pick. He can slot into the slot corner position very nicely. Another guy is our Darius Washington, a safety at a TCU. He is a very solid second round pick if we do not trust Traverius Moore going forward. Now, the only issue is he, he is 5'8", so he is undersized at the position. But, however, I'm just going to put this out. If Trayvon Morrig is not picked by whenever the Niners pick in the second round, uh, pick him. 
he he is amazing. Uh, he probably will go in the first round, if I'm being honest. Morig had looks to predict a, me a more first round player, but with the Browns now picking up other guys, I don't know what his um. I don't really know what his market is. So he's one of those guys that I think if you look at him, he could be someone you can grab in the second round. Someone you should really, really look out to grab. All right, and now we're going to switch courses and move over to some baseball where we're going to be talking about the SF Giants and where I see them, where I see their opening day, starting day MLB roster lineup, their um, hitting lineup, and where their rotation ranks in the MLB. And I think this is very, very surprising where they do rank, and it kind of is eye-opening to see where this team is going in the future. Now, I have been called crazy by some of my friends for being very high in this Giants team. I think this is a Giants team by 2023 will be competing for World Series. Now, that seems very ridiculous, but you have to look at it this way. The Giants have a very good farm system in their outfield. Their outfield farm system is amazing right now. And their infield farm system is nothing to, um, is still very, 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 very good and very, very exciting. And the thing is with the Giants, they have a bunch of cap space money, a bunch of money they can spend on against the salary cap in 2021 against the luxury tax and people forget about that like everyone everyone acts like the the giants don't want to make big signings which is wrong the giants do want to make big signings they just make the right signings because they went after shohei otani they went after bryce harper so in 2021 the giant or in the 2021 offseason the giants will be going after a very very big free agent this next year um, maybe a guy like Chris Bryant, Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, you know, one of those shortstops, the third baseman, one of those big power hitting guys is who I believe the Giants will go after. So going back to it is this is a lineup that is very surprising and very, very overlooked by a lot of teams. Now, this is a this is a team that still predicts to go around 81 to 81. I just think they do have a better hitting lineup than a lot of people predict, a lot of people see, and it's gonna be eye-opening when I tell you these numbers. So the Giants currently have the 13th best hitting lineup. They have the 13th best uh, starting opening day roster, the best lineup right now. Because if you look at it, right now, I have their lineup going as something a little bit like now. There's going to be a lot of variation with the Giants. You know how Farhan Zaidi likes to work. You know how Kapler likes to work. So this is just a bare bones blueprint I kind of have of what the lineup would look like. And so far, we have Tommy LaStella hitting leadoff. You have Yaz hitting second, Solano hitting third. Belt hitting fourth, Dickerson five, Posey six, Dubon seven, Crawford eight, and pitcher nine. Well, let's look at that top two because that is a grind for opening day pitchers. You have Tommy Lastella and Mike Yastrzemski, two guys who are going to take pitches and going to grind you out. And also two guys who are very, very solid at getting the bat to the ball. Lastella last year still had a very, very good year. He still played at an all-star level and he hit... 281 for the whole year so he hit 281 and had a 127 ops plus and that is a little bit worse than what he hit last year the year before he hit 295 but he had a um 118 ops plus so his ops plus was better this past year and that's because of the amount of doubles he was hitting he hit 14 doubles in 55 games this past year whereas in third in 80 games last year he only hit eight so listella was getting a lot more hard contact he, his slugging was up from 331 to 449 which is in insane so if Listella can keep that up in a big ballpark like Oracle he can continue to have success and I believe he will because at behind him is a guy like Mike Yastrzemski who is the cornerstone of the Giants team right now he is the best player on the Giants team so he is also a guy who is going to grind out pitches but also is going to provide a lot of pop and he is a dangerous player you don't want to be really 
pitching with um, Yaz a lot, then you have Solano, a silver slugger guy who has a lot of average potential. Not a lot of pop behind him, but you know he's going to get base hits all the time, and I really do think he can work in a three-hole behind Yaz and Lestella. Then behind him, you have Belt, who was honestly a top 10 like hitter last season in the NL. If you look at it, um, very surprising. I know, I know. You you won't you would think I'm lying, but Belt had a very very good year last year, and if he can continue to have any sort of success like that again, he should have another good year, and is actually probably someone the Giants are going to look to trade away at the trade deadline if he has any semblance of a good year. And then you have Dickerson, a guy who has turned it around with the Giants. Posey, a guy who I think can hit above 290 again. Again, mark my words, Posey will hit above 290 in this 2021 season, um, average-wise. Just because if you look at Posey, he did not hit well in 2019, and that was his last full season. But you have to remember, he was still coming off surgery. He has not had a full year of rest or anything like that since he has had his injury. So Posey is someone who has not been healthy these past couple of years, and I think he will finally regained some of that structure he had when he was playing in 2018 and 2017. Now, if we look at 2017 and 2018, 2017, he hit 320 in 140 games. In 2018, he hit 284 in um, 105 games. 2019, in 114 games, he hit 257. So those are, it's a decline, yes, but I do think Posey is going to hit right around that 290 mark again. Um, and he will regain the success he once had once he kind of gets used to where his hips are and now and kind of just getting some more everyday rest. And then you have a bottom of the order of Dubon and Crawford. Dubon has a lot of upside. I really like Dubon. He's my favorite player on this Giants team currently. And I do think he has a lot of weird utility upside to where he can be an all-star caliber player and hit around 280 if he kind of just figures it out with the stick. Crawford, he had one of his best years hitting last year, and it should be somewhere similar where he should be shooting for an OPS of around 760, 770. If we can get anything out of that from Crawford, it is a win. And some of the teams that are around the Giants, so the team in front of the Giants at 12, the two teams in front of them at 11 and 12 respectively are Oakland Athletics at 11 and the Cubs at 12. They have two roster or two lineups that are slightly better than the Giants. They have just a little bit more upside, um, but they're just not that great. Now, if we look at Oakland, you have Chad Pinder, Mark Canna, Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, Stephen Scotty, Ramon Liriano, Elvis Andrews, Sean Murphy, and Seth Brown. So that is an, a very okay lineup. I do really like the Canna, Olson, Chapman, Scotty, Liriano um, run in that lineup. I am very high on that middle of the order, and that is the reason they are 11. Now, 12, you have Ian Happ, Anthony Rizzo, Wilson Contreras, um, Chris Bryant, Jock Peterson, Javier Baez, David Bodie, and Jason Hayward. Peterson's been crushing the ball in spring training, so there is that. And then this is a lineup, too, that has just a lot more star power than the Giants, so it's a lot more proven talent, whereas the Giants have been guys who have been kind of journeymen, haven't always played every day in their careers. These are guys that have been. Now, the two teams behind the Giants, at 14, we have the Phillies. You have McCutcheon, Baum, Harper, Riomuto, Haskins, Segura, Gregorius, and Kingery. That might seem blasphemy to put the Giants over that um, lineup, but I don't like that Phillies lineup at all. You have McCutcheon, he is old. Baum, okay, very good year. Harper, very good hitter. Real Muto, yeah, he's been he's been regressing. Haskins uh, or Hoskins and uh, regressing again. He has been a power hitter. Segura, eh, don't really like him that much. Uh, Gregorius, I don't like outside of New York. New York was the perfect place for him because of the way right field works and it's so short. Uh, it doesn't work as well in um, Philly, but hey, he's still there. And Scott Kingry, he's a solid center fielder. So that is an average um, lineup. I just think the Giants have a lot more solid underrated pieces 
pieces that just get overlooked a lot more than that Phillies team. Also, the Giants proved it last year by winning more games, and I think they will win more games this year. If we look at the team behind the Phillies at 15 with that um, lineup, we have the Tampa Bay Rays with Randy Rosarena, Brandon Lau, Meadows, Margot, Choi, Wendell, Adamas, and Kiermaier. That is another pretty solid lineup. Um, it's just they have lost some of they haven't really lost any pieces. It's just, you know, an underrated lineup with solid utility players, and they just don't have a star. Like, tell me the star on the Tampa Bay Rays in that lineup. Randy Rosarena because of the playoffs? Uh, you could go Austin Meadows. He's been an all-star in the past. Uh, maybe it's loud still. Maybe it's still from that last year. So you see the issue I have with that Tampa Bay race um, lineup. Now, let's look at where the Giants rank in rotations. In rotations, they rank a little worse. They have the 17th best rotation, and that could be moved down one more now with Alex Wood maybe not being ready for opening day with his back strains and... um. But the thing is, Logan Webb has looked very, very good so far in spring training. Now, if we look at this rotation, we have Kevin Gosman, Alex Wood currently, uh, jo Johnny Cueto, Anthony Descalfani, and Aaron Sanchez. And the reason I'm so high on this Giants rotation is because they have a great coaching staff. It's a coaching staff that has been able to get the best out of their players. Gosman was a ace at pitch like an ace last year, and I think he continues that this year. Wood, I think, can regain some of that past success he had with the Dodgers if he's healthy. Um, Webb has already shown a lot of success this year in spring training when he's been pitching. He has a nasty-looking changeup, and if Webb can continue this, he can take that fifth spot from Wood and hold on to it until Wood is healthy. Johnny Cueto, he has been very solid in spring training. Now I want to see where he is going forward in into the season you know can we get a little bit of a younger Cueto out of us or are we going to get the older injured Cueto of the past few years um his contract is running up so we this will be some of the last we see of Cueto then we have Descal Fawning who I don't think will have a great year I'm just going to be honest there um but hey maybe the Giants can get the best out of him and then you have Aaron Sanchez who I do think the Giants are going to kind of revert back to some of that all-star level performance he had back in 2016 he's still 28 he's very young so the Giants can help him above the Giants um two above them is the Cubs one above them is the Phillies and behind the Giants you got one behind them is the St. Louis Cardinals and then the Seattle Mariners so if you look at the teams around the Giants these are all teams that are going to have very similar years to them I think the Phillies Giants and Cubs those are three teams that are very similar in rotations and lineups and they're all going to be very similar teams. They're all going to be semi-500 teams that are going to somewhat push for a playoff team. Now, they're all probably going to be the third or fourth best, the th probably third best team in each of their divisions. The Cubs might be second just because of the weak central, but the Phillies will probably be third or maybe probably fourth, actually, because of how good the East is this year. So you're looking at it where these three teams are very similar. They're all going to be around... 81 and 81 so I really do like having the Giants as the 17th best rotation and the 13th best lineup they are going to project to have seasons right around where the Cubs and Philadelphia Phillies have um, are they are very similar teams in more respects than one um, and yeah I think this projects really well for the Giants actually as they should end up finishing as a probably top 15 team in the league you know not one pushing for the playoffs but one still sniffing around in the wild card hunt maybe we'll finish six seven games back of the second wild card which would be nice and finishing around there just showing some life going into the future because this is a team that I'm very excited for their future and I will continue to be excited for their future until Marco Luciano turns out to be a bust, which he will not be. I'm
knock on wood i'm praying luciano will not be a bust but if he does and this team's future is a is hindered a lot more but if he is not and he has some of that um career trajectory that we are seeing from him right now right now it's xander bogarts i'm hoping for a Fr francisco lindor s player if we get that we will be very set so that is all I have for you guys today on the Long Live the Bay podcast. Thank you all for tuning in and listening to this episode, and I will catch you guys next time.